Hey, my name's Emma. Hey, my name's Maddie. And you're listening to The Pilot's Pandemic. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Pilots Pandemic Podcast. You're here with your host, Emma, and our lovely co-host, Maddie. Hello, everyone. This week, we are joined with a very, very, very special guest. High emphasis on very. Um, We are sitting here today with Mr. Brent Blue. Brent is a senior AOPA AME advisor, as well as a HIMS AME and a pilot. Thank you so much, Brent, for joining us today. It's great to be here. Great to talk to you all. So as our listeners are probably very familiar with, we always ask all of our guests at the top of the show, why did you start your path in aviation? And was there somebody or something that sparked that passion? Well, I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, right next to Bowman Field, which was uh, a very active uh, training airport at that time at the uh, it dated back to uh, World War II uh, era and was the commercial airport. But uh, after the commercial airport moved, uh, it became a very active GA airport. Uh, literally, uh, they were training so many pilots that they would land uh, one plane on the runway and, and a plane on the grass on either side. So literally three landings simultaneously. And uh, it was a pretty exciting place. And it was always great. Uh, because at least twice a year, the Goodyear blimp would come in and and uh, stay there overnight. That was pretty exciting. I know for a young boy, that's got to be like just such a treat. I grew up probably a mile down the street from um, our just our teeny tiny little regional airport. And it was just so fun watching the planes fly in and out each day. Even though my dad was a pilot, that definitely like inspired me to want to stay in aviation. Well, no one in my family was a pilot, and they 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 weren't too excited about me becoming one either. <laughs> so, <laughs> do you mind me asking why? Uh, I, I think my my family is a pretty conservative, uh, not adventurous type of uh, family, so I, I'm sort of out there on the uh, on the limits for them. I got you. I got you. <laughs> so, our next question, Brent, was. Why did you want to become an aviation medical examiner? And can you explain some of the duties that is part of your job to our audience? Sure. Uh, An aviation medical examiner uh, uh, is the person who essentially examines pilots for first, second, and third class medicals. And I became one after I became a physician because it allowed me to work with pilots and just be involved in the aviation community. And I liked helping pilots um, uh, get their medicals, especially when they had uh, medical issues that, that caused uh, uh, difficulties. Uh, the main difference between a senior AME and a, and a uh, regular AME is a senior AME can do first-class medicals, and you become a senior AME after you've been a, a regular AME for a year or so, and then uh, apply for that senior designation. And uh, the regional flight surgeon uh, grants that based on your performance uh, as a regular AME. Is there a, can you also explain the difference between the, the HIMS AME and an AME as well, since you, that's part of your sure. credentials? The, well, first thing is the difference between a, a first and second class uh, uh, medical and a third class medical is mostly um, vision.
got gut issues because Emma and I sure do. I have an issue with high sugar foods and anything with added preservatives and Emma has a whole ass gluten intolerance. So we struggle with finding tasty treats, but thank the heavens for Abby Nola because it has been a lifesaver when we want a sweet treat fix without all the gut bombs that high gluten foods like cookies and cakes give us. Abby Nola has a chocolate granola that is made with lupini beans, so it's gluten-free and only has one gram of sugar, leaving our sweet tooth satisfied and our tummies feeling perfectly fine. You guys, you can head over to abby-foods.com or the Instagram account at abby-foods-co for your granola fix turned tasty treat fix. You'll also find all kinds of recipes to try out, so you'll get never get bored with Abby Nola. Use code PILOTSPANDEMIC for 15% off your order of Abby Nola. Intervention motivational study, and that was a study the FAA commissioned many years ago in order to um, license or get pilots back into the cockpit after drug and alcohol issues. Uh, drug uh, there, before if a pilot had a, a drug or alcohol issue they were going to never be able to fly again and uh, that was a, a very onerous uh, uh, problem for the pilot and a very expensive issue for airlines because it meant they lost a, a trained pilot uh, and uh, it cost a lot uh, for an airline to to train a, a pilot so anytime they lose a pilot for whatever reason uh, it's an expensive venture. That uh, HIMSS program uh, was very successful, and uh, then they expanded that to second and third class um, uh, pilots, and they continued to call it HIMSS, uh, which uh, it, it, I don't know why they didn't change the name, but that's what they they just call it. To become a HIMSS AME, you have to uh, take a week-long course uh, that is held uh, usually once a year uh, in various locations uh, around the country. Uh, and the uh, HIMSS part of things is, is mainly for drug and alcohol issues. However, they threw the antidepressant uh, certification, the special issuance, issuance antidepressant uh, pilots, uh, using pilots into that HIMSS program, even though it really doesn't belong there. Yeah. So that was going to be my next question for you. As a HIMSS AME, you deal with a little bit more of a difficult job because you're a necessity to an aviator's medical if they have to navigate the special issuance pathway. Um, so my question is to you, and I probably know the answer, but I, you know, we have people ask this us this a lot. Why do aviators have to go to you, a HIMSS AME, to navigate down the SS? RI pathway, SI pathway, even though this is a program set up for addicts? Well, it's it, the HIPS program was set for drug and alcohol uh, issues. Uh, so I think using the word addict is a little pejorative. But the the uh, uh, SSRIs were just thrown in there, I think, because there wasn't any other place to put it uh, for the uh, or by the FAA medical office. And that's where, where it ended up. Uh, the uh, we certainly cover the uh, SSRI designations and special issuance in the HIMS courses and the in the and the recurrent education courses that we all have to take uh, for uh, or to maintain the HIMS designation. Uh, but it it I mean being a HIMS AME just means we're we're trained a little bit more on how to evaluate 
uh, uh, drug and alcohol issues. And since the FAA requires some some of the same sort of evaluations for the um, uh, pilots who've had depression or anxiety, um, the I think that's kind of the reason why they have to see us. Uh, I I don't think it's necessarily a great system, but that's the way it is, the way it is right now. Yeah. I definitely want to go back on to my point um, using the word addict. Yes, that's probably not a great term to use. Um, we do speak to people who unfortunately have to go down the hymns pathway, even though they have no abuse issues. But we definitely speak to people who struggle with that. And we um, accept those realities on this platform. Yeah, the, I mean, the the. I mean, alcohol abuse disorder and, and drug abuse uh, issues uh, obviously are big issues uh, and obviously uh, even magnified for pilots. Uh, I don't think that the FAA's uh, current um, uh, way to evaluate pilots is, is uh, uh, in accordance with modern medicine at this point. But uh, the uh, it's what we it's what we have and what we're dealing with at this point. The um, especially with the SSRI pilots, the, the pilots on antidepressants, uh, some of the stuff is just, uh, it, well, from my viewpoint, inappropriate. Yeah, yes, yeah. we agree, <laughs> for sure. Um, I was just going to ask you some questions that we, Em and I typically get a lot from pilots in our DMs and then through email as well, or, or just in conversation, but we obviously have said, have answered these questions ourselves, but it's always best to have an expert answer them. So I was just going to ask you three successive questions that um, we've get, gotten from pilots before and many times. So the first one is when you have to take a P test for your medical, what is actually being tested? Uh, for the medical, they're, they're, we're testing for uh, blood and sugar, or in other words, we're, we're testing for mainly for diabetes, that's uh, the glucose uh, and urine, and we're testing uh, for blood, which can show certain kinds of uh, kidney disease. Okay, that's a that's a solid answer. We love to hear it. I'm sure that relieves a little, some of our pilots that are wondering. Um, well, they're, they're all wondering whether we're testing for drugs. That's what- Yes, that's, that's the big one. I think that's the question that they really have, but they don't ask it in that way. Um, so the next one that we get asked quite a bit um, is if you've been denied a third-class medical, are you able to fly under basic med? No. Uh, in order to fly under basic med, your last medical, whatever that last medical is, and, and the medical has to be, have been in effect, in effect uh, no uh, earlier, well, I should, let's say, I'm going to, I'm going to make this say, let me say it this way. Your medical has to have been in effect uh, um during uh, by uh, July 2006 or later, uh, because there was a 10 year look back uh, when the the basic med was started in uh, 2016. Uh, your last medical cannot have been revoked, denied, or um, revoked, denied, or uh, not canceled. But uh, anyways, it had to have been a valid medical. Uh, your last one, so you have to have had a medical either initially or uh, uh, your renewal has to have been valid in order for you to do basic med. Okay, that's a, 
that's good because a lot of times I think we're we're kind of muddy that water there so I'm glad that you you had said that because um, that question is constantly asked and and we have all different answers from all types of people so that's good to know no that's and that's in the regulations it's on the AOPA site I mean they're all yeah. very clear the 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 key thing and and I recommend basic med to a lot of pilots because uh, many times the FAA requires recurrent annual testing um, uh, that is really uh, not clinically indicated and uh, pilots can switch to basic med and not have to do uh, that not, uh, those tests that are not clinically indicated. Okay. Um, and then the last one that we have for you is if you want to take care of your mental health, is it better as a pilot, is it better to let your medical lapse and reapply for a medical or is it better to go down the specialist units pathway? Well, uh, I'm not sure I, I understand your question in the sense that if if a pilot has a mental health issue and they have a current medical, uh, they are required uh, to report that to the FAA. Uh, if they do not have a current medical uh, and are not currently flying, then they there is no requirement to report that to the FAA. Uh, if a pilot wants to go to basic med and they've had a mental health issue, uh, depending on the type of mental health issue, they they uh, probably will qualify for basic med, but uh, they cannot have a psychosis or serious depression uh, or, uh, uh, I, I can't remember the other criteria, but uh, you can't be schizophrenic, you can't have a serious psychosis. Um, uh, and, and those are, are uh um, issues that you have to uh, get a medical for if you're going to basic med. Uh, you have to go get a third class before you can switch over to basic med. Okay, I think there. I think I was asking that because I've I've noticed that sometimes, at least the aviators that I've talked to, if they self ground themselves and allow their medical to lapse and then go and get help for, let's say, depression, um, it seems that it's easier than to go down the special issuance pathway to try to maintain your medical. Well, um, going down the special issuance uh, pathway is always difficult. I mean, uh, not only because of what has to be submitted to the FAA, but because the FAA is so backed up at this point, uh, the, the it can take uh, an incredible amount of time to get your, your medical uh, under special issuance. So uh, uh, that's, you know, uh, that's a significant problem. I have one pilot who is, is uh, uh, he's a HIMS pilot and uh, is a first class HIMS pilot. And he's been waiting so long for his medical certification that he's going to have to get a, another medical in order to fly because the, the AME exam is going to have expired uh, by the time the medicals, uh, his special issuance is granted. So it's almost a full year that he's been waiting. Wow. Um, for us, like most of the pilots that we've talked to in that pathway typically take about 24 months. So I agree with you that it's it's way too long of a process. And um, I'm hoping that it, it becomes more efficient. I, I yeah. think I lost your audio there for a second. Oh, I was just saying that I agree with you there. Like a lot of the, the pilots that we've spoke to have taken about 24 months in the SI process for an SSRI. 
Um, so I agree with you in that it's it's just not an efficient process right now. Yeah, it's it's uh, it is is a it's <laughs> it's a it's a very tedious system at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm. So we covered your forum talk at Oshkosh last year on one of our episodes. This was last year again, but um, we did really resonate with a lot of the things that you had said last year at OSH, one of those being your opinions on cognitive screening. Um, You said that you'd like to see a change in how pilots are evaluated with anxiety slash depression and that the cog screen is totally inappropriate. Um, So I I agree with you in this thinking. We've talked about this a lot on the podcast. Um, We're not huge fans of the cog screen, but we want to know your opinion and why you think that. So definitely elaborate for us. Well, uh, when a pilot is evaluated uh, for uh, uh, psychological issues um, or psychiatric issues, uh, one of the requirements uh, is to see a neuropsychologist and uh, and or a neuropsychiatrist, depending on uh, the the specific diagnosis, those two uh, folks uh, uh, have to be FA approved or a board certified. Uh, it depends. Sometimes they can just be a board certified psychiatrist, but uh, many times they have to be an FA approved board certified psychiatrist or a, um, a, a board or an FA approved. Uh, um, uh, neuropsychologist. Uh, for initial screenings now, uh, they require a COG screen for uh, psychological issues uh, of pilots on SSRIs and specifically, and uh, they require COG screens for pilots with drug and alcohol issues. Uh, the COG screen is a test that was uh, invented by a guy named Gary Kay, who owns the copyright and patent. And um, who who receives a a around a hundred dollars or so for everyone that's done, you know, whether he performs it or anybody else, and it's an interactive computer system uh, where you you use a touch screen and it and it and it uh, it's supposed to uh, uh, check your memory and your dexterity and a few other things like that. It it the if you read my last article in the ALPA magazine, uh, the cog screen. Uh, has has never been shown to prevent an accident. Uh, it uh, is a test that is um, that there have been um, uh, uh, several studies done on uh, in various journals. Uh, the last one was in the year two thousand. Uh, of the studies that were done, there were about twenty of them. Uh, uh, about eighty percent of those studies had uh, uh, Dr. K either as a lead author or one of the authors, which is a significant conflict of interest. And I just, I don't know why the FAA uses Cox screen uh, the way they do, but uh, the, it's, 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 I guess it's mainly just an objective test that uh, for the FAA is basically a yes, no test, which means that uh, someone could go to a neuropsychologist and a psychiatrist and and pass with flying colors, but if they if they don't do well on the cog screen, they're not going to get their medical back. And I find that truly offensive. I mean, it it just makes no sense to me whatsoever. And I trained with Dr. K. I learned how to do the cog screen and actually bought the equipment to perform it. And after I did it a few times, I realized that this was just a ridiculous thing to make pilots do. And um, uh, I'm I'm not in favor of it in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, we um. 
we've talked to a couple of people who have done it before and i i know this is not like exactly what it is but it does just sound like a very long computer game um i always joke you got to go play pac-man for them for a little while to prove if you're if you're fit to fly and also like maddie said before you know that's a very small window of time compared to how you behave throughout your entire life so yeah i the the thing that drives me crazy about i mean i had one pilot uh uh a airline pilot who uh had uh, was required to take the cog screen once a year he took it 26 times 26 years there's no test that is valid in that setting and the other thing is is that he he also had to take a sim check because he's an airline pilot he had to do a sim check every six months if you can pass a sim check uh and and you can you don't there's no reason why you should say a cog screen is is uh has any significance whatsoever I mean, what what is the most um, uh, or the best way to evaluate a pilot's performance? If they can get in a simulator and pass a sim check, what the hell are we doing with a cock screen? I mean, that's yeah. just ludicrous. Seems like the cock screen doesn't seem to be like aeromedically significant. Um, well, yeah, and then to your point, it's just they. I saw the FAA had just removed the some of the screening requirements. So the cog well, screen, screen was one of them. What they removed was the annual recurrent requirement. Yeah, the recurrent. Pilot, so the initial pilot. is still required. Yeah. The initial is still required and and there's no annual recurrent. And I think that might have been a compromise between the people who favor cog screen and the people who disfavor yeah. cog screen. Because I mean it, <laughs> there's no there's no study to show that this is a, a a useful tool in evaluating a person who's taken SSRIs currently or in the past. So do you, like you said, you think it was kind of like a com- compromise for them removing the COG screen, but do you think there's a better way to screen these pilots um, that they'll move to a different method, like maybe well, send I- training or something like that, as you had explained? Well, I think that, well, for third class pilots, uh, they're not going to be in a sim because they're not flying that kind of aircraft normally. Yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, I mean, some pilots require are who 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 are fortunate enough to have their own jet or fly a a a turboprop like a, a King Air or, or a, um, a Caravan. They may be required to do sim checks by their uh, insurance. Um, and and that's a good thing. And obviously, if they can't pa- pass a sim check, then then maybe they shouldn't be flying uh, at all. But the as far as the uh, requirement for uh, the cog screen for pilots who are working for an airline, for instance, are are working uh, a corporate job where they're doing sim checks all the time, it just seems crazy to require a cognitive screen. Uh, that is done by a computer, especially given that they are evaluated on a recurrent basis by a neuropsychologist and or a psychiatrist. It makes no sense for them to have to do a, makes no sense whatsoever to me. Yeah. So do you think it's just kind of like a, a test for liability, like for some a liability-based test for the FAA to fall back on be like, look, we tested them and they passed. No, that's, 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 I think, I mean, oh, I love it when people say liability, doctors say liability, like, like, 
uh, supply chain, people say COVID. Uh, <laughs> the the, the um, no, I, I think that uh, at least from my perspective, that it's not a lot. It's not a liability issue. I think it's a, it's it's a um, uh, it's gotten to be a bureaucratic norm for the FAA. And uh, nobody's, you know, got the guts to stop it. It's kind of like EKGs for, for uh, first class medicals. EKGs don't tell you anything about what's uh, what predictive. Uh, it has no predictive value for who's going to have a heart attack or who's going to be suddenly incapacitated in a cockpit. Uh, a resting EKG is essentially an antiquated test. Uh, if they really wanted to uh, uh, test pilots for uh, or were concerned about their ability to or their possibility of having a sudden incapacitation or a heart attack, they would do stress tests every five years instead of an annual EKG. But nobody's got the guts to make that change. And uh, in fact, I, I did an article a couple of years ago about the fact, just if you look at the cost, uh, an annual EKG for five years is about the equivalent of a once every five year stress test. And uh, you would be doing the pilot uh, a great favor at doing a stress test every five years, uh, given that has much more predictive value of whether they have any heart disease. Uh, but, you know, that's a, that's an idea that uh, probably won't come around for many years. Mm -hmm. So at OSH, you had also shared some compelling results regarding a survey that you created. Um, it was non-scientific, but I really, the answers seem to be very in line with a lot of the other studies that have come out in the past couple of years surrounding this subject. So you presented some questions and I'll just read them off for our audience. So the first one was, have you ever flow on or have you ever been on an antidepressant and reported it to the FAA 40% 47% said yes yeah and that's um, not reported it, it's have they ever flown on uh with an antidepressant and not reported it to the FAA 40% said almost 50% yeah. um the second question was have you ever failed to obtain healthcare because of the effect it would have on your FAA medical 63% answered yes. Um, the third question, do you think the FAA handles mental health issues correctly? And this is the most shocking answer. And I just have to say, you reading these off at Oshkosh was, I think, a moment that a lot of pilots really just admired you a lot for, because I know this had to hurt. Um, so yeah, do you think the FAA handles mental health issues correctly? 97 said no and so my I, question well the one i'd like to point out though this was not a scientific survey in the sense of i mean it wasn't a huge number of people they were self-selected and so on but but even if it was 50 percent incorrect or even it was 75 percent incorrect those numbers are still staggering yeah staggering. and and uh and of course uh nothing comes out of that but i mean that they i hope the fa is getting the message and i think the the new federal air surgeon um dr northrop is really trying to make some changes there but there's a lot of bureaucratic inertia in oklahoma city and and you know a lot of people think that uh, the federal air surgeon can just say you know, we're going to do it this way and it happens uh and it's not quite that way but um she is i think trying to make some changes but they're, they don't come fast enough or, or and they're not enough of them. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, you know, what was it like in the moment when you were doing this forum and or more or less when you did this study, when you were able to get these results? What what kind of feeling came over you um, seeing that? Well, I, I, I think it confirmed what I believed from the start uh, that many pilots do not seek medical care because they're worried about their medical. I mean, we've, I've had pilots say that to me. I've had pilots who've come in uh, literally scared to death they're going to lose their medical because they they went to the emergency room and had chest pain. Well, you know, chest pain doesn't mean you have heart condition, and when and and so they they'll uh, have gone to the emergency room with chest pain, and uh, they would say, "Well, I had it four or five days," and went to the emergency room. They checked me out and sent me home. Well, that's not a heart attack. That means that you don't have uh, a cardiac problem. And uh, but, you know, pals will say, gee, I, you know, I waited that long because I, I I was worried about what would happen to my medical. Uh, and that that's something that had been said to me many, many times over the years. So the 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 fact that pilots failed to obtain health care could uh, be concerned about their FAA medical uh, does not surprise me at all. Uh, I, I did a, a similar question about antidepressants back when ABSIG, which was the first online bulletin board uh, uh, it was an aviation bulletin board, but literally was the first one on CompuServe. I had had pilots send me a postcard if they'd ever flown on antidepressants without informing the FAA. And this was before the FAA allowed antidepressants in any form. And uh, I got many postcards with the with the uh, the word yes written on them. So uh, uh, I mean, I knew that was an issue. And and I don't think I, I mean I ran in, I don't run into anybody for the most part, who thinks the FAA is handling mental health issues correctly uh, in and out of uh, the, the healthcare world. Uh, they just are way behind modern medicine. Oh, yeah. So I was just going to ask you about the other things that you said at OSH, um, because you said a lot of good things that we really resonated with and agree with. And, and one of those things was that you thought that um, the decision criteria to be delegated more to AMEs and you being an AME, uh, I kind of wanted to know why you also agree with that. Like why you said that. Well, I think that it's, it's, uh, more valid for an AME who's sitting and and speaking with a pilot, physically touching and examining the pilot, uh, has a better feel for whether that pilot is safe to fly than somebody in Oklahoma City. Now we can evaluate the same met, the same uh, studies uh, that it, the the Oklahoma City people require. In other words, they can like if they require a stress EKG for somebody who's had a heart attack. And a person flies that stress EK or uh, passes that stress EKG with flying colors. There's no reason why we shouldn't be able to uh, certify that pilot uh, to fly for another year. And and some of those processes have been delegated down to some extent uh, to um, um, uh, to AMEs, and those are called CACIs. Uh, they're they're uh, what's uh, what are called uh, conditions AMEs can issue. And and some of those uh, have you know are are conditions that it should never have been on a special issuance list anyways. Uh, um, uh, the um, uh, I mean like thyroid uh, 
uh, uh, disease, like somebody who's hypo hypothyroid, is is uh, used to be a special issuance, and now uh, it's a it's a uh, a khaki or, or condition AMEs can issue. Um, uh, uh, asthma, somebody who's not you know who's got mild asthma or or high blood pressure, uh, uh, prostate cancer that's been treated. Um, uh, I mean, many of these things, there's no reason why AME shouldn't have been able to issue them, and now we can. There's actually a list of, of uh, let's see, how many other? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. There's 22 now. And um, and you can, if you want to see the list, it, you can you just Google uh, FAA CACI, C-A-C-I, and uh, the list will come up. Uh, but that really could be done for almost all special issuances. And and don't forget that the the examiner, the FAA AME, uh, can has a choice of doing uh, three things when a pilot comes in. They can issue, uh, or they can deny, or they can defer. So if somebody comes in, let's say they they come in and they have asthma, and that's a khaki condition. If it's mild asthma and the and the AME determines using the criteria the FAA has set out that there's no reason why uh, the the uh, uh, he can't grant a he or she can't grant a medical they can go ahead and grant it. If the pilot uh, applicant has uh, asthma that has uh, uh, certain problems that show severity of disease or requires multiple medications or you know other criteria and the AME thinks that well he's not he or she's not comfortable giving him a medical they can always defer they in other words just because it's a khaki condition doesn't mean the AME has to say yes or no they can defer and that person uh, that pilot can still qualify as a special issuance so um, by giving the AMEs um, more discretion uh, on the ability to issue doesn't mean that that everybody who has that condition is going to get their medical. It means that the, the AME has to make the choice of whether that person is safe to fly or that uh, person needs to be evaluated uh, in Oklahoma City on a more thorough basis uh, uh, or may need uh, additional testing required by the FAA. Now, the reason I, I'm a strong proponent of the AMEs uh, being delegated more is if you look at basic med over the first five years, basic med, uh, which is uh, 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 exams that are done by uh, uh, physicians that are not AME trained or not FAA trained, uh, they can be any licensed physician can do these exams. We have over 70,000 pilots who are on basic med and the accident rate between basic med and third class pilots is, is there is no difference. Hmm. So basically that shows that, that you don't need to be an AME to do a third class medical. You don't need to do it. And, uh, and so that's one of the reasons why uh, I think that um, that AME should be granted much more authority uh, to grant medicals and take this um, uh, special issuance backlog and get rid of it because that's what that would do it. I mean, just think about this. If it, it, I think it's actually over eighty thousand pilots are on basic med now. Now, a a good percentage of those basic med pilots had special issuances that have gone to basic med. The FAA is so backed up now 
imagine what how backed up they'd be if all those folks uh, who are on basic med uh, had actually applied for special issuance under third class. I mean, they the backup would even be greater. A year longer, probably. Wow. For sure. Yeah, I think um, the the stronghold at the top of having all the power definitely needs to be released and given more to allowing an AME to make those decisions since they are the ones who see the pilots face to face. And I do believe, obviously, you have the credentials to make those decisions. So it's just that that power struggle, I feel like they just won't let go of um, over at OKC. Yeah, I mean... And I had another pilot just, just complained to me the other day. He's had atrial fibrillation that was treated with something called ablation. That's where they go in with a catheter and essentially um, uh, burn the spot that is causing the irregular heartbeat. He's gone five years with annual uh, uh, Holter monitors, which are these 24-hour uh, monitors you wear that monitor your heart rate. Uh, he's done that for the FAA for five years. He's still on a special issuance. He has to do it every year. And the FAA, in spite of the fact that he has been successfully treated and that treatment has looked great for five years, uh, he still has to do this test every year and still has to get a special issuance. And there's no reason for that. I mean, at some point, the special issuance should go away. But the FAA has made it a lifelong requirement for anyone who's atrial, had atrial fib at any time. That just makes no sense. And, you know, it, it doesn't mean that, I mean, let's say the pilot went 10 years without atrial fibrillation, then it started again. It still would be reported. It's, I mean, in other words, there's no reason why the FAA has to require this, this Holter monitor because the AME, when they listen to somebody's heart, can tell if they've got a, a regular heartbeat. The, the, the pilot's private physician can tell if they've got an irregular heartbeat. I mean, it, this isn't something that's, that is, you know, as magically to, to, uh, shown by a Holter monitor that no one's ever detected. So I, I, it just, it doesn't, some of this stuff just is beyond common sense. Yeah, it yeah. makes me wonder, like, what is the reasoning for them to require these special issuances when you know this person is fit to fly? And I mean, we've seen it. We just talked to a female aviator. She'll be coming on the show in a few weeks, but she's required to hold a special issuance. She no longer takes medication at all. She hasn't taken it for five years, I believe, but she's required to have a special issuance every year for medication she took five years ago. And she's totally fine now. Was it ADD? Uh, no, it was just a uh, situational stress. Yeah. I mean, so, and here's, and this is one of the things that drives me crazy about that. <laughs> a lot of physicians put pilots on medications saying, oh, it's going to be no problem. You won't have any problem with that. Uh, or because they just don't know how, how the FAA responds to certain things. Or, or they put people on medications inappropriately. And ADD is one of my, one of my pet peeves because uh, a lot of teenagers get put on ADD medicine uh, for hyperactivity when they are not hyperactive, nor is the diagnosis uh, valid. Uh, at, but because they've been on the medication for a period of time, that's that means when the pilot fills out that form, have you ever uh, uh, what have you ever been diagnosed with this, or have you ever taken these medications? You know that that's going to come up, and then they're going to be in this world of of uh of hurt having to prove a negative 
and it it just is very very frustrating because the 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 overdiagnosis uh, in in general medicine is extremely high, extremely high. You're speaking my middle language right now. We've I've talked about that so much on the podcast, and ADD and ADHD is definitely like it seems like to be the biggest culprit of that. Um, I just know in my personal life, so many people who have taken it, um, and they don't have ADHD, but they've just been prescribed it at one point in their life. Right. And and it's, and it's, I mean, it, I used, I called it at one point it was, it was the the disease du jour (laughs) (laughs) prescribed, uh, ADD medicines. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you a question that I don't have written down. Um, and if you don't want to answer, I totally understand and we can cut this out. But um, I know that a lot of pilots see AMEs as kind of like the key holder, like the one person that can either make or break you being up in the sky. For you as an AME and kind of asking you about like your mental health, how does that how do those decisions affect you um, as an aviator, as somebody who loves this? Um, you can definitely identify with other people who are struggling. Say you have somebody that's on the SI pathway. Like what kind of feelings does that bring up for you as an aviator? Well, I've I've always felt my position as an AME is to do everything I can to help a pilot fly. Uh, so I, 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 I mean, I'm not. I mean, my biggest issue is, is that I get obsessive compulsive about trying to get all the paperwork done and things like that. And sometimes it gets a little frustrating when the pilot doesn't follow through. But uh, I, I really do everything I can to to get uh, uh, pilots uh, uh, processed and get get these special issuance through and so on. Uh, a lot of uh, physicians, and this is where a little drives me a little bit crazy with AMEs. Uh, it is far easier to defer a pilot than it is to uh, go through all the paperwork to, to make sure that they're okay to certify. And uh, a lot of physicians just don't want to take that time, uh, 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 particularly uh, physicians who are not pilots, uh, who are just uh, doing AME exams to uh, have uh, a source of income. And so, I mean, doing special issuances, doing HIMSS work, it, it takes a lot more time than just a, a routine, you know, AME medical. So, uh, but I, you know, I love aviation. I, I, I think pilots are great. It's always fun to have pilots come to the office to, you know, get exams. You know, we talk, we talk airplanes all the time, but I, I think it's just, it's, it, it's important that, at least for me as an AME, to try to do my best at getting people um, uh, uh, certified. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, I feel like a lot of work and, um, can be uh, like, I I know for me, I would never be able to do something like that because it would be so personal. You know, you really want, like you said, you, you want to get these people back in the air. Um, you want people to fly. So I can imagine it's, it, you know, I'm trying to find like a choice word, but I I can just imagine that it does play a little bit of a role in your day-to-day life. Um, and a little bit of a stressor. Well, sometimes all of medicine could be stressor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. So our last question for you um, at the very end here is what advice would you give someone who is waiting on their special issuance and feels like they just cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel? Well, a couple things. One is that they, they should be calling the FAA at least once a month 
to the Oklahoma City office to inquire about the status of their medical, because it it is not it is not uncommon for medicals to sort of get lost in the in the the morass of things down there. Uh, uh, it's also important to remember that when things get sent in. If they're not sent in all at one time, like if a pilot's supposed to send in the hospital medical records and this test and that test and so on, if they're not sent in under one envelope uh, or or at one time, uh, there's no there's no sort of automatic system that says this file is complete and now it needs to be reviewed. And so sometimes a phone call from the pilot uh, will uh, have uh, the reviewer uh, look to see if the file is complete and then put it in the queue to be reviewed. So that that's something that, that can be important. It's also important to read the letter. <laughs> and a lot of pilots, for some reason, do not read the letter the FAA state sends them. And it's important for them to make sure they follow the instructions in the letter. That being said, sometimes uh, the, the FAA is so far behind that things that have already been sent in uh, will not have been um, uh, necessarily scanned into the file, and the pilot will get a letter asking for something that they've already sent in. And that's why these phone calls to the FAA can be important uh, to uh, determine, was was this just things crossed in the mail, or, or, or did you never receive this, or whatever? By the way, I never send anything to the FAA by regular mail. I always send it by uh, something that they have to sign for. So it's always going to be UPS or FedEx, uh, even if time is not the, the important issue. But I want to make sure that somebody has signed for it to prove that the FAA has received it. It's also important for the pilot to make sure and, and save a copy of everything they send to the FAA. And it's important to remember that they do not need to send things to the FAA that the FAA does not ask for. Uh, it just adds to the amount of stuff that they review. Yeah. Don't make a mountain out of a molehole. <laughs> right. All right. I like your advice. Um, you know, that's something that I never even would think about is you sending that paperwork and them asking for the same paperwork just because so much time has elapsed. They haven't even been able to scan those files in. Um Lord have mercy. That's got to be frustrating, but I really do like your advice. Um, yep. Those are things that I think we've said maybe a couple of times here on before, but definitely need to reiterate that. And what you said about keeping a, a log of everything, I don't think we've touched on that. That's another really good point, but thank you so much for um, pointing that out and bringing that up. And thank you yep. so much for coming on the show and making time. I know you're a very busy, busy man. I know that a lot of people know your name, so um, that just goes to show that you're definitely busy. Um, and people in the aviation world, especially pilots, we really admire you and the work that you're doing and the advocacy for air medical reform. So thank you. You're very welcome. And I, I do want to point out one thing, by the way, that one, one thing that the FAA has done that isn't a big improvement is they now uh, will let us upload directly uh, files to the FAA as opposed to having to mail everything in. That's, and that's just happened over the past couple months uh, before we had to mail everything in. But now uh, now we have uh, the ability to to upload uh, uh, files uh, uh, via scanner. And that's that was a big that's a big improvement. Now, I don't know if it's going to speed anything up, but at least it's a big improvement. 
Yeah. At least you don't have to send it through certified mail. No, I do yeah. want to say, though, I wanted to ask, in that case, like, would you still send something through certified mail just to have that evidence that, you know, it was received or would you do both? Well, the, the thing about the scan is, is you, you can tell it it when it's uploaded, it's in the system. And so okay. you, can, you can tell that it's there. Me just not trusting the Internet. <laughs> yeah. Maddie knows I, I it's like an ongoing joke. I am a grandma inside of a young woman's body because when it comes <laughs> to technology and um, any kind of acid reflux, I turn into a complete 80 year old. Um, but that is good advice. And thank you for mentioning that. Sure. <laughs> All right, Brent. Well, we've definitely taken up enough of your time, so we will let you loose um, and get back to fighting the good fight. Uh, thank you again for coming on. And if I know you're not like it doesn't seem like you're very into social media, but if people wanted to contact you, um, is that something that they can do? Yeah, the, the easiest way is just uh, email me at Brent at BrentBlue.com. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brent. Um, we sure do appreciate it. My pleasure. You take care now. All yeah. right. That is all for this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening with us this week. As always, remember to keep the blue side up and the brown side down. We'll speak to y'all next week.